0: Hello friends, and welcome to episode 135 of The Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motz, and I'm assistant to Peter Lightheart, the president of Theopolis Institute. Theopolis Institute trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we have Peter Lightheart discussing the text for the second Sunday in the Easter season. We really hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by these observations on these passages, and as always, thank you so much for listening.
1: Welcome to the Theopolis Podcast. This is Peter Lighthart and I'm here with Brian Motes, and today we're talking about the readings for the second Sunday of the Easter season. This is the first Sunday after Easter, and in 2018, that is April the 8th, sometimes known as the Octave of Easter it's considered an eighth-day uh, celebration uh, and a also a uh, uh, celebration of the Feast of St. Thomas. Uh, uh, the uh, story of Doubting Thomas will be uh, one of our readings for this week. Uh, we don't really have an Old Testament reading. We have instead a reading from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. Um, the epistle reading is from 1 John 1 and the first couple of verses of chapter 2. And then the gospel reading is from John 20, the remainder of John's gospel, uh, from verses 19 through 31. Uh, we looked at the first 18 verses of that chapter last time, and I think the theme that's running through these readings is the uh, inclusion of those uh, of those of us who have have not witnessed the risen Christ. Our inclusion in the blessings of the eighth day, our inclusion in the blessings of Easter and in the resurrection life. Uh, That's uh, certainly an emphasis in 1 John, the first chapter of 1 John. Uh, You start out, he starts out with this uh, quite uh, beautiful, awesome, stunning description of what it meant for the Word of Life to appear. Uh, The Word of Life, who was from the beginning, uh, has not only made himself visible, but has made himself audible, tangible. Uh, That with which we that what was from the beginning what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes what we have beheld with our hands and our hands handled concerning the word of life that life is manifested to us. John is describing his own eye witness, ear witness, uh, hand witness. Uh, He's experienced Jesus uh, in all of his senses, uh, and uh, he now bears witness to that. Bears witness to the word of life that came in the flesh and the word of life who now has risen from the dead and is triumphed over death. But uh, he doesn't leave his readers who have not witnessed Jesus in, the per- in person, he doesn't leave uh, we who are readers out of that uh, blessing. He says, That life was manifested, we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So there's this kind of a sequence of fellowship. They had the disciples, John, who's writing the letter included, had direct, tangible, vid- visible, audible fellowship with the Word of Life. Uh, they had that kind of direct fellowship with eternal life that has come into the world. Uh, and because they had uh, communion with Jesus— the word of life. They have communion with the Father. Now they've been commissioned to proclaim what they saw and heard, to proclaim their eye and ear witness, so that those who have not seen and heard can have fellowship with them. And if we have fellowship with the apostles, then we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So it's, that, uh, it's through their testimony that we come into an enjoyment of that same fellowship uh, with God that they, that they enjoyed. Uh, that that uh, emphasis we're going to see again in uh, John 20, and we'll look at it in a, in a few minutes, uh, and also, I think, in a more indirect way in, in, uh, in the Acts 4 passage. But I want to make a couple other comments about the First John passage. Uh, John uh, talks about the purpose of their proclamation is to communicate joy to uh, his readers, to communicate joy to those who hear the gospel, to make their joy complete. Uh, and the message that he's announcing is a message that has to do with God himself, that God is light, in him, in him is no darkness at all. Uh, and that picks up on the light-darkness language that uh, John uses at the beginning of his gospel and uh, in some ways throughout the gospel. Uh, it takes on an ethical coloration so that darkness is involved, is connected with evil, Satan is, the, uh, is connected with the darkness. Judas is connected with the darkness. Um, and light is connected. Jesus is the light that comes into the world that lightens every man. The Father is a Father of lights. God is light. There is no darkness in him. Uh, so you have that ethical, theological contrast, metaphysical contrast perhaps between light and darkness. But at the beginning of the Gospel, beginning of John, it's a redemptive historical contrast rather than a theological or ethical one rather than a metaphysical one, those who love darkness rather than the light are the ones who cling to the Old Covenant shadows, uh, even though the light has come. The light uh, that lightens every man has come into the world, the light that created all things, the light that is the Word, has come. But uh, those who were his own don't receive him, and they cling to the darkness. Uh, They cling to these Old Covenant shadows instead of embracing the light and the perfection that's now come in him. And so that's, I think, in in the immediate context of both John's gospel and 1 John, the letter, that's the significance of that light-dark contrast. Uh, And in order to have fellowship with the God who is light, we have to walk in the light. That means walking in terms of the new covenant, the truth that's now come, the truth that has come in Jesus. uh, Grace and truth were manifested through Jesus. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We need to walk in that New Covenant light. But that does mean walking according to Jesus' commandments. It does have this ethical connotation, and it, kind of, uh, it, it uh, unfolds from that more central redemptive historical meaning. When, uh, so his message is that God is light, and he immediately goes on to talk about the way, that, the way that we have to walk. If God is light, then we have to walk in the light. If uh, God is light and we want to have fellowship with the light, then we have to walk in light rather than in the darkness. We have to practice the truth. Um, and if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with the disciples who proclaim the light. Uh, and therefore, we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son. Uh, part of walking in the light, John makes clear at the end of chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, uh, part of walking in the light is confession of sin. Walking in the light doesn't mean sinlessness. In fact, John denies that those who walk in light are sinless. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Walking in the light doesn't mean sinless perfection. It doesn't mean we never uh, stumble. But it does mean that when we stumble, we seek to be restored to the light. We confess our sins. Uh, we uh, seek to uh, walk, walk in the light, to get back into the light, uh, and uh, seek forgiveness through our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, the one who, who's given himself as a propitiation for our sins. So um, the Easter season message from that, I want to emphasize, is that uh, John is writing to those who have not seen Jesus and yet participate and have fellowship with Jesus and with his Father through reception, believing reception of the witness of the disciples. And I really think that's the, that's the thrust of the doubting, so-called Doubting Thomas story at the end of John 20, back in the, John's Gospel. As I mentioned last week, there's a sequence of encounters or sequence of events that take place on Easter Sunday. Uh, there's uh, Peter and John get to the tomb and find it empty. There's, first of all, an absence of Jesus. That's the first sign of resurrection. Then Jesus appears to Mary as the new Adam, as the lover of his bride. Uh, of his bride. Uh, in the third, third instance, Jesus, on the same day in the evening, uh, the first Easter, Jesus appears to his disciples in a uh, closed room and he pronounces peace to them and they recognize him as Jesus and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, this kind of proto-Pentecost, the Johannine Pentecost as it's called. And by breathing, the Spirit on them gives them power to forgive sins to uh, and to retain sins. Uh, but then the aftermath of that, uh, verse 24 tells us is, uh, that there's one of the twelve, Thomas, who's not present in that first episode on the evening of Easter, uh, and he insists on being able to see Jesus. He wants to put his fingers in the nail prints on Jesus' hands and feet. He wants to put his hand on the wound where Jesus was, uh, where Jesus was wounded with a spear. And if he doesn't see that, then he's not going to believe. And that sets up uh, a, um, a really the punchline of the passage is what John says after he's. Uh, what Jesus says at the end of the passage, because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who do not see and yet have believed. And then John goes on to comment, many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So he has the same kind of sequence that he lays out in the first chapter of his first epistle. Uh, There are certain disciples who have encountered the risen Christ directly. Thomas becomes one of those eight days after the first Easter. Uh, But Jesus is saying that there's a particular blessing, not just on those who come to see Jesus late, as Thomas did, but there's a blessing on those who don't see and yet believe. And what they're believing is the testimony of the eyewitnesses, the testimony of the apostles. Uh, And those who do believe the testimony of the apostles uh, can share in the life that Jesus has uh, that Jesus is, uh, we can have life in His name by believing that. So Thomas becomes a kind of inserted reader, in a sense. He's he's a late comer to the to the witness. Uh, he's a late witness to the resurrection, and he's a, a a sort of transitional figure between the original witnesses and the reader who's not a witness, a direct witness of Jesus at all. Um, the other thing I, I think is worth pointing out that uh, although. Although Thomas is, you know, gets this rap as being doubting Thomas, and has, you know, there's there's basis for that. He's an empiricist. He wants to, he wants to see and touch and handle and hear Jesus. But Thomas's testimony in verse twenty eight is really the climax of this of a whole series of episodes uh, in this in this chapter. Episodes in the resurrection accounts. Um, The the first disciples that see the empty tomb, Peter and John, um, just go away puzzled. They went back to their own homes. They don't tell anybody. Uh, and they don't really understand what's happened yet. They don't confess that Jesus is the Christ. Mary encounters Jesus, and she recognizes him. She actually sees him, and she uh, calls him Rabboni, teacher. Uh, when Jesus appears to the disciples, uh, they—and uh, and Mary goes on to tell the tell the disciples that she's seen the Lord. And when the disciples see Jesus, they tell Thomas, we've seen the Lord. So you have these— First of all, silence. Then, Rabboni, Then, the Lord. But the climax of that sequence, the clearest and the most exalted testimony, actually comes from Thomas. Uh, when Thomas sees Jesus, he says, "My Lord and my God." There's a there's an advance in his recognition of who Jesus is uh, beyond what the other disciples have achieved. So. Um, Doubting Thomas, in one sense, but confessing Thomas. Let's let's say let's make that point that in the end, Thomas is the one who uh, is uh, acknowledging Jesus to be what John told us uh, Jesus, who Jesus is at the beginning. That he is the Word who was toward God and the Word who is God. Thomas confesses that, "My Lord and my God." Uh, The Acts passage in Acts chapter four is, uh, uh, I think, in the same has the same. Kind of message, but in a somewhat different fashion. Uh, Both 1 John and John 20 are uh, talking about how we who are not eyewitnesses of Jesus can have fellowship with Jesus. And we do it through the testimony, the written testimony of those who were eyewitnesses. Um, What Acts 4 indicates is uh, 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 it's, it's still talking about the power of the resurrection, it's talking about the witness to the resurrection. But the emphasis is on the embodied, uh, the embodied witness of the resurrection, not just the words of the apostles, but the ongoing testimony to the resurrection that's embodied in the church. Uh, so uh, one way that we can encounter the, the risen Christ is through the words of the scriptures, the proclamation of the apostles. Uh, we also encounter the risen Christ in the, the community of believers, the, the church that testifies to the apostolic witness, and that carries on that apostolic witness. Uh, Resurrection life in Acts 4 takes the form not only of witness, but also takes the form of generosity. It takes the form of uh, common uh, enjoyment of the goods of this world and the common enjoyment of the Spirit. The Spirit has been poured out. The Spirit has been poured out as the common gift of all members of the church. The Spirit is apportioned out to each uh, as uh, as the Lord pleases, Uh, And that common life takes the form not only of a common life in the spirit, but of a common life uh, in uh, sharing in the sharing of goods. Um, This is one of several places where we're told that uh, the uh, disciples are in in the uh, early church in Jerusalem are uh, selling property, selling homes, uh, distributing the proceeds from those sales in order to care for those who are in need. We have to qualify that and see that in the context of. uh, the, the specific setting in Acts, the early chapters of Acts, uh, Jer- Jerusalem. Uh, if we're reading uh, the Gospels into the Book of Acts, we know that Jerusalem is a doomed city. Uh, Jerusalem is uh, about to undergo this eschatological crisis, this shaking, and so part of the part of the motivation for this for this uh, radical kind of generosity is that crisis that's just on on the horizon, um, and so that that needs to be factored in. Uh, at the same time this is a a, a call to uh, a a radical kind of generosity within the church and that's part of what the uh, that's part of what the spirit produces that's that is a witness to the resurrection when you have a church where there is no need, there are no poor where the, you have a church where everyone's needs are taken care of because the saints are willing to sacrifice for the sake of one another where the saints don't consider their wealth to be theirs exclusively only for themselves but they consider their wealth as a trust, and part of that entrust uh, that part of that stewardship is they're entrusted with wealth for the benefit of other saints, for the benefit of other members of the church. Uh, when you that's that's a testimony to the power of the resurrection. That's a testimony to the work of the Spirit. Uh, so the the witness of the apostles, both written in the scriptures, proclaimed by the church, but also the witness of the, the church's generosity
0: If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.